Hi, this is Amber and welcome to today's podcast. The website is sacredspacehealing.org. That's sacredspacehealing.org. I'm a Reiki master teacher and a shamanic practitioner. I've been running my own healing practice since 2007. These podcasts have been going since 2013. The website again is sacredspacehealing.org. So today's podcast is looking at the topic of trauma and trauma league tables. I don't know how else to put it other than the way we quantify what is a viable trauma and what isn't. So there's a, there's a phrase that I often see, well, I mean, it's, it's rampant in, in advertising and uh, social media, which is cancer is the hardest fight you'll ever have. I'm paraphrasing, but it's along those lines. Cancer is the hardest fight you'll ever have. And every time I hear that, I take huge issue with it. Not because I don't think cancer is a horrific, painful, terrible experience for anyone to have to go through, but because it isn't the hardest fight. We seem to have compartmentalized trauma, pain, into acceptable, palatable pain that we feel sorry for, that we uh, donate to, and pain that we simply do not have any time for. So every fight is the hardest fight. The addict's fight to come out of addiction is the hardest. The people, the person, the individual sleeping on the streets without a home over their heads, is it going through the hardest fight. The woman or the man being beaten up or sexually assaulted or raped is going through the hardest fight. The adult dealing with childhood abuse is going through the hardest fight. The individual going through the breakdown of a relationship, a divorce, is going through the hardest fight. Someone who's lost their limbs is going through the hardest fight. Everyone has a hard fight on their hands. Why does cancer get elevated to a kind of saintly status and every other experience gets negated? Cynically, we could say it's because it serves the pharmaceutical industries for us to pour our money into cancer charities and into chemotherapy and and medical trials. Because the people that profit from these medical trials and these the the research that is done and so forth, are medical, pharmaceutical companies. They're the ones that profit. Who would actually profit from homelessness charities or addiction charities or, you know, uh, sexual abuse and rape shelters? Well, it's not going to be some big corporation. And this is why we see that funding is is depleted, is dwindling for things like Uh, women's shelters, for example. They're closing down all the time in the UK. Uh, Women have less and less resources to go to seek help for sexual assault and rape. The least resources. Mental health, it's the same thing. Resources are being cut all the time and a lot of money is still being funneled into research to cure cancer. And the question is, who does all this money actually benefit? And I'm not saying that People on the ground who need help are not benefiting. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying it's important to ask these questions. 
often with other forms of uh, trauma or pain, the blame lies on the person that's experiencing it. So the person that's homeless on the street, you know, the first response is, well, what did you do to get yourself there? You must be an addict. You must have screwed up your life. You know, there must be something wrong with you. You can't, you're losing at life. You're failing at life that you've ended up on the streets. I mean, often that's the kind of preconception is that this person is an addict, they're an alcoholic, they're a prostitute, there's something, they're mentally unstable, like there's some reason why they've lost everything and ended up on the streets. That's just a bias. It's a kind of unconscious bias that runs through most people. We see, we hear about a man or a woman, it is predominantly women, but, you know, of course there's sexual assault and rape that happens for men as well. But we hear about a woman who's been raped and the first question that she's asked is, or it's thought, is, well, what did you do to create that situation? I remember years and years and years ago, I was on a tube train. It wasn't that late. It was probably coming up to midnight. And I'd gone to sit at the end of the, the carriage, um, the bit near the driver. And um, it was just me and, and, and another guy who was sitting there. And the guy who was sitting opposite me started trying to have a conversation with me. I didn't want to have a conversation with him. I think he came and sat next to me and he started like leaning into me and I felt really, really uncomfortable. And I, I, I told him I didn't want to have a conversation with him. I asked him to move away. And I, I remember looking around the carriage and there wasn't really anyone else in the carriage apart from a man and a woman. And I, they kept staring at me and I didn't know if I could trust them. I didn't know if I could ask for help. So I felt a bit trapped this scenario was going on and that guy got up and I think he sat opposite me and he was staring at me and making comments and I was just waiting to get to my stop basically anyway this other guy comes over and sits down and I'm thinking oh god no there's two of them now and but he was basically there to protect me and he stared at this other guy stared him out and the guy got up and left and then this guy's girlfriend came and sat down. I presume it was his girlfriend. She sat down and I, and I started talking to the man and I said, thank you so much. I was so terrified. Thank you for coming over. And he said, no, 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 I saw, I could see what was happening. I could see that you were uncomfortable, but I didn't want to freak you out even more. I didn't want to make you feel even more uncomfortable. So that's why I was hesitating to come over. But then I thought I should come over because it really looked like he was hassling you. And I said, thank you so much. And I turned to the woman and the woman said to me, what did you do to create that? And kid you not, she actually said to me, what did you do to create that? And I said, I didn't do anything. I wasn't, I didn't have a conversation with him. I didn't even look at him. He just started talking to me and she went, oh. And then she looked down and then she looked at her, her boyfriend or a partner as if to suggest that somehow I had created the situation. So the purpose of that story is to say that unfortunately it was a woman who was judging me, but we have this unconscious bias that... What did you do to create that situation? You know, women who've been sexually assaulted or raped are asked, were you drunk? Were you wearing a short skirt? Did you say yes? Did you did you lead him on? You know, so there isn't empathy there. There isn't compassion there. No one's going, a woman who's been sexually assaulted or raped is fighting the hardest fight anyone will ever fight. Like, that's not, that's not what we have as a tagline we don't have big ad campaigns that are saying please give all your money to these shelters for women who've been domestically abused and raped and assaulted because it's not it's it's it makes us feel uncomfortable it makes us feel dirty you know because we have an unconscious bias to uh, a crime that involves sex because we still can't get our heads around that that actually crimes of sex are not to do with sex they're to do with power 
And it's the same thing with homeless shelters or addiction shelters or centres. You know, someone trying to clear addiction is fighting the hardest fight you'll ever fight. And most people will turn around and go, well, no, they're not really, are they? It's their own choice. They chose to get addicted, didn't they? Like, that's an unconscious bias. So we're not funneling, we're not chucking loads of money at people that are in, you know, rehabilitation centres or that they're, they're in AA or they're trying to get clear from drugs or crack or heroin or MDMA or whatever they're addicted to. We kind of judge them. We think they're dirty. They've done some pretty dirty things and we don't, it's kind of unpalatable. We'd rather they just went away over there silently. But we don't have that with cancer. We're being programmed to not have that with cancer. And we're being programmed with other sources of pain and trauma to dismiss it, which is why we have the highest levels of homelessness that we have in the UK at present, which is why people are so immune to it, because we are being programmed to dismiss it. It's an inconvenience that needs to be taken out of sight. Um, you know, here in the UK, I don't know where it is for the rest of the world and where these podcasts go, but here in the UK, you know, um, spikes are being put up in places where the homeless would sleep for the night. You know, they would it would be like a um, a doorway or a shop doorway. Um, these are being boarded up. Uh, gates are being put on doorways. Uh, metal spikes are being put up. Fences so the homeless can't sleep anywhere. They're basically being cleansed and removed um, because they look unsightly. But that's someone in pain. But we're not saying that that person that hasn't been able to wash, hasn't been able to eat properly, that person that is sleeping out on the streets in all weathers, that person who, you know, women, when they get their periods and they're homeless, just bleed out because they don't have anything to stem the blood. We don't talk about these things. We don't talk about the fact that that person is fighting the hardest fight that they could ever fight that we could not even imagine what that's like. And unlike the terrible ordeal that the cancer sufferer is going through, they don't have someone holding their hand in a hospital. They don't have friends and family going, are you okay, we love you. They don't have messages of support, and they don't even have the support of the public. Just picking an example of homelessness, but we can equally apply it to the addict. We can equally apply it to the woman who was raped, who feels so ashamed that she now feels like she can't tell her friends, she can't tell her family, that she's going to be judged by her boss, she's going to be judged by her partners, What's what? how short was her skirt, how much makeup was she wearing. We don't have the same levels of empathy. So we've created a kind of pain or trauma league table that at the top of it is the big C. And everything else doesn't really equate. And we've all it seems like the majority of us have kind of got programmed into it that cancer survivors or those that even don't survive are the strongest people that we will ever know. And I take exception to that. The strongest, we can't know who the strongest people are. Often the strongest people are those living in amongst us who never betray their pain. Some of my clients, I would say, are the strongest people I have ever known because of what they've endured. I mean, some of the stories that I hear are heartbreaking. No one should have to go through some of the things that some of the clients I've had have experienced. But you would not know it if you met them because they've covered it up so well. They've learned to manage their pain so well. So when I hear that kind of negation of pain, that sort of league table of pain, 
that this person who's been diagnosed with cancer is having the, the hardest fight ever. And yet I know that there's other people that have been through horrific, horrific things that are fighting their fight every single day silently and never get that praise, never get that elevation. I take exception to it. Of course, it's horrific to have to go through chemotherapy, to have to go through the pain and the sickness and the fear. Of course, it's horrific. I'm not negating that. But it's equally horrific to have to deal with the aftermath of a sexual assault, to have to deal with the rehabilitation of oneself after addiction. It's equally horrific to have to go to sleep on a cold pavement in the middle of winter, in the middle of a city or some woodland where you don't feel safe, where you could be attacked and spat at and kicked and beaten and abused at any moment, which is what happens to homeless people. It's equally horrific. It's equally horrific to have to have your limbs amputated. It's equally horrific to lose your sight, to lose your hearing. It's equally horrific. So why do we glorify one pain and negate all the others? I don't think that that's our innate nature. I don't think as human beings, if we disconnected from all forms of programming, I don't think as human beings we would do that naturally, innately. I think we've been programmed to do that because we get told the same messages again and again. Cancer is the hardest fight you'll ever fight. Oh yeah, it's the hardest fight you'll ever fight. Yeah, 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 yeah. We get programmed to believe that. But if tomorrow the slogan was homelessness is the hardest fight you'll ever fight, we would have a completely different outlook on the homeless community. You know, if tomorrow our slo the slogan was addiction is the hardest fight you'll ever fight, yeah, we'd have a completely different take on people who are struggling with addiction. If tomorrow the slogan was sexual assault is the hardest fight you'll ever fight, we would have a completely different take on people who've been sexually assaulted. Completely different. Do you know how much that would change the way we view people in our society? But we're only told that there is one fight that is the hardest that we'll ever fight, and that's the big C. And that there's no cure for it. And so it becomes this endless kind of mythical fight. And often, you know, often really healthy, mindful, conscious people get this horrific disease. And often people who've abused their bodies also get this disease. But what we don't do with cancer is we don't turn around and say, well, you deserve it because you smoked. You deserve it because you ate saturated fats and you didn't look after your body and you didn't exercise. We don't do that. And yet we will turn around and have those thoughts for the homeless person who's on the street. Well, you deserve it because you're an addict. That's what happens. You deserve it because you were wearing a short skirt that night and you were drunk. What, what else would you expect to happen? Like those are the unconscious biases that we have. We do have them. And it's rare that as a, as a world community we don't have these biases. We do. I don't know what the answer is to break this perception, but all I can do is shine a light on it. Um, and shine a light on it not to say, 
I think any of these afflictions, these, these experiences of pain, are less important than, than the other. I don't think any of them are less important. I think they're all equally horrific and heartbreaking. Miscarriage is the, is the hardest fight you'll ever fight. We don't have that as a slogan. There's a lot of shame around miscarriage still. I've spoken to a lot of women who feel that they can't talk about it because they feel that they're being judged, that it's their fault, that it's not, and it wasn't really a baby. What's the big deal? Why are you so upset? Stillbirth is the hardest fight you'll ever fight. We don't have that as a slogan. Polycystic ovaries is the hardest fight you'll ever fight. Well, for lots of women, it is. It's horrific. It's really crippling. But we don't have that as a slogan. Dyslexia is the hardest fight you'll ever fight. For millions, it is. But we don't have that as a slogan. But it could equally apply to any of these things. And in fact, if we did apply it to any of these experiences, we would change our perception of these experiences and we would grow to be more compassionate. And I think it's important that we do that. Because we are negating the experiences of millions of people around the world when we just put one experience, one affliction on a pedestal and nothing else counts as much as that. I simply don't think that's true. I simply don't think that's true. There are many different forms of pain. There are many different ways in which our soul and our heart and our bodies can endure and suffer pain. And yes, you know, the pain of someone chucking up their guts because of chemotherapy is horrific. But I can't imagine comparing that or seeing that as more painful than the pain of having to sleep on a cold pavement every night. What that, that does to your bones, what that does to your muscles, how that feels to put your head on a cold pavement every night. That's pain. The pain of a woman being raped or a man being raped, that's pain. What that does to the body, the pain of a woman having a miscarriage, that's pain. The pain of addiction, of needing the fix and then the withdrawal symptoms, that's pain. You cannot have a league table of pain. But that's what we've created. And it's time that we stop this. My invitation is to change your perceptions. You know, even if you find this triggering, even if you don't agree with this, just entertain the idea that all of these pains that people experience and are experiencing around the world are worthy of our attention and our compassion. It's important that we exercise that muscle and we don't get lazy and programmed into believing that only one trauma, that one pain is worth something. Because who is it really worth something to? Addiction isn't sexy. Rape shelters aren't sexy. Miscarriage isn't sexy. And I'm not saying that cancer is sexy. By sexy, I mean it's lucrative. It's lucrative to say that we're putting all this money into finding a cure. That's sexy. We're finding a cure. There is no cure for a miscarriage. There is no cure for the sexual assault or the rape or the incense or the childhood abuse or the paedophilia. There is no cure for it. So it's not sexy, is it? 
because we can't just magic it away and put on a white coat and say we were in the lab today and we found a cure. There isn't a cure. And the cure for homelessness is boring. Oh, well, we've built some homes and we've, you know, we've got, given people some jobs. That's boring. It's far more exciting to have a cure for cancer. Look what man did. Man beat nature and found a cure for this horrible sickness, which many argue is a man-made sickness because of how our water is polluted and our food is contaminated and our air is contaminated. And, you know, years ago, people thought that it was safe to wear antiperspirants. And then since then, it's discovered that if you're using antiperspirants, there's a greater risk of breast cancer. You know, years ago, people thought it was safe to have silicon implants for breast implants. And then it came out that it's not safe. And who created those sicknesses in the human body? The pharmaceutical industry, the same industry that we're still funding now to find a cure for cancer. It's just worth asking those questions, that's all. Not because we can do anything about it, right? But because we can exercise our muscle of compassion and start to see where we're being manipulated and where we're being programmed and refuse to be manipulated and programmed and send our love to those that are struggling with this awful awful affliction that is cancer but also send our love to those that are struggling with other afflictions i mean we don't have that we don't say aids is the is the is the hardest fight you'll ever fight because we still have so much taboo and um judgment around hiv and aids but why don't we have that it's a horrible illness it's a horrible horrible thing that destroys people but we don't have that level of compassion why don't we it's 2020 soon i think it's time we started to exercise that muscle because we have it in us in bucket loads to be compassionate to all forms of pain and suffering and as we grow that muscle as we develop it we're better placed to do stuff in the world that that makes a difference in people's lives and not just give to a charity because we we assuage our guilt by doing that, but actually go out in the world and do something because we feel passionately about it. The website is sacredspacehealing.org. That's sacredspacehealing.org, wherever you may be on your journey. I wish you so much love, joy, compassion, health, abundance, and peace. Until the next time, so it is and so it shall be.